please pray with me. God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In some sermons this fall, I have focused on the spiritual and theological diversity of this congregation. Part of my hope was to make space for diverse understandings of God, for our diverse views that exist in this congregation related to Christian theology. But in offering up the hope that there is room for different ways of looking at things, I also hold the hope that we find a significant degree of unity. In one of my fall sermons, I suggested that two things we have in common two centrally important things that unite us here as the Davis United Methodist Church are that we are Christian and that we are United Methodist. To be Christian, of course, means that Jesus Christ is central to how we understand ourselves as a particular spiritual community. And that's what I talked about last week. So today, let's take a look at what it means to be United Methodist at how our inheritance as United Methodists shapes Davis United Methodist Church in the 21st century. There was a movement in the Church of England in the 18th century seeking renewal and revitalization in the church. The founder of that 18th century renewal movement was named John Wesley, and he was a very methodical guy. He introduced a lot of methodical practices and approaches to the folks who were drawn to his movement. And people outside the movement looked at these very religious people and mocked them by calling them Methodists. The name stuck. We in the Davis United Methodist Church in the 21st century have our methodical moments and we have our not so methodical moments. But there are other hallmarks of Methodism that are very apparent in this church today. I've already talked about one of those hallmarks at length, which is our openness to differences of opinion. I offered one sermon in September on that topic. As John Wesley wrote in one of his sermons, though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike? May we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion? Without all doubt, we may. Herein, all the children of God may unite, notwithstanding these smaller differences. We can love alike, even without being all of one opinion. But there are still more characteristics of Methodism that we reflect here in Davis at this time. Contemporary Methodists find in John Wesley's writings an acknowledgement of four sources for understanding of God. We have come to call them Wesley's quadrilateral, although that's not a word Wesley would have used. The four sources Wesley consistently and repeatedly drew upon in shaping his own theology and the four sources he urged his followers to draw upon are scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. The idea of using scripture and the ideas passed down through the Christian tradition to shape our faith today was not new to Wesley, of course. 
That idea would have been assumed by practically every Christian for many centuries. And we today turn to scripture regularly as a resource to nourish our faith, to teach us wisdom, and also to engage us in the wrestling that is sometimes part of the life of faith. We also engage with other voices from the Christian tradition as we examine the influences of prominent Christian ideas that have been passed down over the centuries. But I suspect that perhaps the most appealing resource in Wesley's quadrilateral for Methodists and Davis in the 21st century is the honoring of reason. The idea that reason was a legitimate resource for Christians to draw upon in shaping their faith was also not unique to Wesley. In fact, it really isn't until fairly recently, in the uh, later 19th century, when historically we start to see certain stripes of Christianity deliberately reject cognitive reason, as if reason is somehow in conflict with faith. But that would be a whole other sermon. But the idea that reason, our thinking, informs our faith was assumed by most Christians of Wesley's day. In particular, reason was part of the understanding of the Church of England, which Wesley belonged to. So the use of our own reason as a resource for developing faith was not new to Wesley, but it was and is an integral part of a Methodist understanding of how a person develops his or her faith, his or her understanding of God. When we come to the fourth source in Wesley's quadrilateral, we find something that is a bit different. The role of experience was and is more explicitly acknowledged by Wesley and by Methodists than some other branches of Christianity. In part, Wesley's acknowledgement of the role of experience in shaping our beliefs or theology is just that, an acknowledgement of what is clearly true. A person's life experience has a huge impact on what they will come to believe or, or not believe. But more than that, Wesley's life and his writings show that he understood experience as the thing that enlivens our faith. Experience is what provides that wow of God, having God expand our horizons beyond what we were able to see on our own. Experience is that feeling of having our skin prickle when we are moved by someone's story of finding hope when they had been in deep despair, and the affirmation that God is the source of hope. So yes, experience shapes our thinking about faith. We aren't likely to think or believe something that contradicts our actual lived experience. But more than that, experience enlivens our faith. And this is an aspect of a Methodist perspective. In the language of his day, Wesley said that all religion is social. To offer a more direct quote, John Wesley said, the gospel of Christ knows of no religion but social, no holiness but social holiness. This Wesleyan emphasis or Methodist emphasis is very much a part of today's United Methodist Church in Davis. It's not a kind of wording that we might commonly use today, but it means two things to say that religion is social. First, 
it means that our faith is meant to be practiced in community. And the depth to which we, as a particular church community, value community as one part of the role that this church fills in our lives reinforces the sense that the Christian faith is meant to be practiced in community. The second meaning of religion being social, as Wesley called it, is that religion is meant to be connected to what is going on in society, connected to the world around us. This was a significant characteristic of the renewal movement of the original Methodists in the 18th century. Methodists were known for taking their faith outside of the church buildings and into the world around them. They were known for their service in feeding the hungry and developing educational programs for children and for speaking out on social issues like slavery and child labor. They reached out to the poor and to industrial workers in ways that the Church of England at that time was not doing. There are countless records of John Wesley preaching outdoors in an open field or a town square or wherever he found space, and at times uh, hundreds of people would gather to hear him preach. The social religion of the Methodists stays connected to the needs and the events of society. If you wanted to delve into some academic study of Wesleyan or Methodist theology and practice, here are a few book titles you would find, titles of books that are very prominent in the field. Grace and Responsibility, a Wesleyan theology for today is one. Another is Practical Divinity, Theology in the Wesleyan Tradition. And still another is Responsible Grace, John Wesley's Practical Theology. These titles reveal a lot about Methodism. Methodists are largely practical in our approach to faith. A faith that does not have a direct application to real life, to our daily life, is not of much use to the people called Methodists. Calling religion social religion, as Wesley did, is one aspect of this. But even beyond that, Methodists in the 18th century and Methodists in Davis in the 21st century want a faith that makes a difference in real life. Yes, spirituality is part of our faith and part of our religion. But this spirituality isn't some kind of pie in the sky or some kind of vague, feel-good, emotional experience. That's why scholars writing about Methodist theology almost inevitably pair grace with responsibility. A Methodist spirituality informs how we put our faith into practice. It is practical. It informs how we live in the world, our values, what we do with our time and our money, our hope for making a difference in the world, as well as the personal spiritual practices we follow to nourish our spirits and sustain and deepen our faith. And all these things I've just listed are a part of what Wesley called the means of grace. God's grace is always a gift from God that is freely given we can't do anything to earn God's grace, and we can't do anything that would ever make us unworthy of God's grace. But Wesley taught that we can live and act in ways that make us more receptive to God's grace, 
or make us better at recognizing God's grace when it is present and at work in our lives. These ways of living and acting are the means of grace, and Wesley divided them into two categories, the acts of piety and the acts of mercy. The acts of mercy reflect that practical nature of Methodist Christianity, that we do things that make a difference in the world, like giving away money in ways that make a difference, or like feeding the hungry or housing the homeless. And the acts of piety are those ways we practice our faith by doing things that nourish our spirits and sustain and deepen our faith. Things like prayer and worship and study and reading scripture. Grace itself is a prominent central theme in Methodism. A simple definition of grace is that grace is the love of God that is given freely without any regard for merit. And grace is the focus of both our scripture readings today. The story we heard from Matthew's gospel is a parable that Jesus told. It is probably one of the most widely referenced scriptures used to explain or illustrate the concept of grace. I've preached on that parable before in this church, going into a more in-depth exploration of its meaning and message. And really doing justice to the concept of grace would have to be a whole sermon in itself. So for today, I'll just lift up the parable of the laborers in the vineyard as a clear illustration of grace. Like the workers who were paid equally for unequal work, God's grace is given not only freely, but extravagantly, without regard for what work we have done or have not done to earn it. John Wesley placed an enormous emphasis on grace, and through the course of his writings showed a well-developed and fairly complex understanding of the evolving ways that grace is at work in a person's life. Our scripture reading from Paul's letter to the Ephesians this morning offers a description of grace that has become central to an Orthodox Christian theology of grace. The scripture says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Other parts of the passage begin to capture the extravagance of God's loving grace. God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which God loved us, made us alive together with Christ. And this, you have been saved so that in the ages to come, God might show the immeasurable riches of grace in kindness toward us. But it is the final sentence of this scripture that strikes me as particularly apt for Methodists. For we are what God has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Grace paired with responsibility. Faith paired with works. Wesley's means of grace, which include making a difference in the world. This is not a way we can try to earn God's favor, but it is a part of the very intention with which God created humanity. We are what God has made us, created for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. So to you, the people of the Davis United Methodist Church, 
I say that this Methodist part of our name is a deep part of our identity. Being Methodist shapes our character as a church. And in the midst of theological and spiritual diversity within this congregation, I see this as part of the core that holds us together in unity. We, the Davis United Methodist Church, are one part of the body of Christ. Being Christian is at the core of who we are. And being United Methodist is at the core of who we are. May we as a body continue to grow in self-understanding and in faithful practice so we can offer our distinctive gifts to a community and a world in need. Amen.